Welcome, everybody, to episode two of the Quarcast. That's right. It is Friday, April 3rd. Happy April, everybody. We've gotten through the month of March, which only lasted about 165 days, or so it felt. And uh, we're still alive. I'm Owen Newkirk, and joining me from his deep inside his man cave compound, it's Sean Shapiro. Hi, Sean. I don't really have a man cave. I mean, I'm in my <laughs> dining room. I'm in my dining room, and uh, I'm at a time where my uh, wife is taking a nap, and my daughter is taking a nap, and so I am, uh, I guess, have the house to myself right now. Would not really, but in general. And you chose to carcast or quarcast, so quarcast, we yeah. appreciate that, um, Sean. We are through three weeks now of post NHL pause. Well, I mean, it, post is the wrong word. Since the pause. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're through the third week, and we have begun week four now. And I think that's kind of interesting. Before we get to our main topic here in segment one, it's just the fact that the regular season was supposed to wrap up this weekend for the Stars in Southern California. Yeah, I think uh, going into... There would have been a game in L.A. tomorrow night, I believe. Would have been the season finale. I actually had a red eye. And I know all this... I had a red eye booked home um, from LAX that would have left LAX at I believe one fifteen a.m. and landed in Dallas around six a.m. on uh, Sunday morning, and then obviously the thought process with that was I would get a day or two home and then, in theory, maybe heading to Denver um, for the first round of the playoffs. We say maybe because with the Stars on a six-game winless streak and. Winnipeg and Nashville just tearing up the standings. It might not have been that. I really think the Stars were going to get out of that mm-hmm. slide. I felt that they were getting, I mean, yes, the Florida Panthers are not a pushover, but it just sort of got, I had the feeling that something had to give pretty soon because the Stars weren't that bad of a team. No, they weren't. And there was going to be, uh, there were going to be, they were going to, Correct. I mean, we saw them get out of the early hole. This is a team that we've talked about the resiliency before. There wasn't going to, I mean, it wasn't going to continue to slide. I mean, could, I mean, I guess I could be wrong, but in general, this, you felt this team was going to get out of this and they were going to self correct things. So I felt that was true. Okay. So the, the thing that happened this week that start, started sort of the idea of turning on this was that I think it was Tuesday. The NHL did their final of their four-division Zoom platform video chat roundtables with the Central Division. And we had Jamie Benn from the Dallas Stars join Gabriel Landeskog from Colorado, Zach Parisi from Minnesota, and Blake Wheeler, the captain of the Winnipeg Jets. Also hosted by one of the guys, John from the NHL PR department, who I thought made an interesting comment on the side that he was part of the all-access broadcast that was being done so that was kind of cool but um this led to a a grander topic which was that first we watched that sean i think you were probably watching it live i had ended up watching the recording afterwards because i had the email was all set and then i got busy doing kids homeschool stuff and forgot and then went oh no i missed it and then fortunately they sent out the recording afterwards what were your impressions about the video format of doing zoom and getting some of the the players reaction from the division 
I mean, it was interesting for me. It was really interesting to kind of get. I mean, the biggest thing for us, obviously, is kind of getting an insight, more insight into Jamie Ben, because Jamie Ben is someone who is very guarded as a human with people that aren't in his circle. Um, and this is not, this is not, I mean, one thing is you could say Jamie is not good with the media, which is one way you could phrase it, but that's not really what it is. But no, but that's not what it is. I mean, I think really the issue with Jamie is, is Jamie is the type of person who, until you're in his social circle or his circle of trust or whatever you want to call it, he doesn't give much away. And media and fans to an extent aren't in that circle, that individual circle of trust. While there are some fans that obviously signs autographs for, does things with, um, it's not like Jamie is someone who is wants to share the inner details of his life with people who he hasn't brought into this circle. Right. To learn more about to to learn more about Jamie, you need to talk to the people in that circle. You need to learn from the people who he trusts, who he opens up with. And it's kind of funny. It's something where I've actually thought about this before. Um, it's something where I think in a lot of ways I've actually thought I've actually have a very, I have a similar personality in some ways to Jamie Ben, where we'll be times where we were meeting some, some like my wife's friends or something like that. And it'll be like, Oh, Hey, why didn't you, why didn't you talk to uh, so-and-so's husband more? Or why didn't you talk to them more? I'm like, I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't know them. And, 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 but I have a switch. I have a work switch, obviously. I have a work, I have a work switch in the industry I have, but just, Boy, I haven't seen that side of you, yeah. Sean. Yes. Maybe, maybe, maybe it exists, but uh, that's not my experience. Well, I have, a, I, have, I have a switch that we're. I have a switch that I can kind of flip when we are uh, working in the hockey world in the realm because it's more so of there's always something that we have in common, right? I think that's that's another thing. Sure. When, like when I'm at a rink, we're all at a rink. There's something in common there, and so I think that might be it. Um, but as far as Jamie goes, so Jamie is a very, and there's nothing wrong with it, he's a person he likes to keep to himself. However, when he gets into his comfort zones, whether that's in the locker room or even on the ice, Jamie is a much different person. And that was that was probably one of the most interesting things to see was Jamie interacting as a person with these divisional rivals. And even though Jamie, like from a writing standpoint, it's not like the quotes were great. Jamie still wasn't a great quote, but you got to see more of Jamie's personality. You got to, I think the best, I think the biggest thing is we, we all learned we've been denied the, the uh, Wheeler Ben fight for that years, has been for years, for years. And, and it was the best point, quote by far. Yeah. At one point there was Wheeler said there was one game where Jamie asked him 20 times in a game to go. And he's even asking him in the third period of a tie <laughs> game. Like, like, so it, it was, it was fascinating to kind of learn more about Jamie in that way. And I think to kind of connect this to where, and we see the players in their homes and more of their comfort zone. Um, it's something that I've done more of in the past couple of days. And this kind of goes back to, this kind of connects to, I think um, there was a column from my colleague at the athletic, Eric Duhaschek about how media access and connectivity with the players used to be, how they used to be on the same commercial flights and the media and the players used to be, they used to be friendlier. They used to be, it wouldn't be uncommon. I've heard stories. I know Mike Heike has brought, told me stories about how media members would be getting a drink with a player on the road. Wasn't uncommon. It'd be, it would just be something that's normal. I mean, that's the type of thing where 
you have that type of interaction now, it's very rare. Players are on one side, the media is on one side, and, and same thing with fans. I think even uh, the, some teams do better with fan access than others, but in general, it's very much yeah. they live in their they live in their world, and we get glimpses into their world. Um, and it was, I think, one of the things that it's is Eric's column that's interesting about it. And Eric brought up how having the phone interview right now and kind of the agent, the phone interview is the only access we have to players. I actually just got off the phone with Essa Liddell about an hour ago. Uh, Ooh, name dropper. Yes. <laughs> stories, <laughs> stories are, the stories already tweeted out there. Um, and it's one of those where Eric had mentioned in his column, how you're talking to players on the phone right now and kind of this whole shutdown and suspension has got it to, has gotten to the point where, there's been more of a player to media interaction in human to and media to player interaction as humans, if that makes any sense. Yes. Well, I mean, the, the this sparked a, a thought in my head earlier this week when we saw this because we've talked about before the difference between Jamie Ben with his guard up in uh, addressing the media and mm-hmm. who he really is as a person in the locker room and the dressing room and on the ice, and we don't get to see Jamie Ben the person very often uh, in media availability. Uh, You get little snippets every now and then, but he's very guarded. And I think there's twofold on that. One is, and again, Sean, as we analyze this, this is not an indictment of, or a a criticism of Jamie. It's just an observation is that I think that he's not a big fan of doing the media. I think he accepts it because of his stature as a star player in the league and, and the captain of the stars that knows that he has to answer those questions all the time. But um, there's a big difference between him in protection mode and what we see occasionally. And the best glimpses are when he's mic'd up. Now, yeah. when we see the mic'd up segments, usually it's from the team or the NHL. So they've already been filtered and censored perhaps, or just they've been checked to see whether or not. I'm sure there are even better raw footage of that. Um, and yeah. Jeff Totes, who does a phenomenal job for the Dallas Stars in putting together his behind-the-scenes open ice segments and all the other production that he puts together, he has said, without actually telling us what, how much more exciting the raw footage is because you get to hear them without any filters at all or any sensors or intermediaries through it. And that's, uh, you know, Jamie said on the call this week on the Zoom meeting that he likes to talk to players on the other teams. In fact, I feel like he's just a nonstop chatterbox when he plays, which is really entertaining. I just wish we would get to see more of that because that's the kind of stuff that sells. And so then tying that in with the article that Eric wrote in the athletic that I had read, I think the day before um, it was fresh in my mind and it reminded me a couple things. First, Mm -hmm. things have changed dramatically from when he first started covering back in the eighties till now, because of course the way teams restrict dressing room access and what they do and, and being more there, obviously teams are doing a lot more of their self reporting back then they didn't have a team writer for their website. Cause there were no websites. They didn't have a, a social media account. So they were really, really just a conduit to the media. That was their only Avenue, whether it was TV, radio or print to get it out. Now teams can actually do that a lot in house and also have more command of what message and control of what's getting out. But Sean, I thought there are a couple things that Eric's article mentioned that were interesting that 
is different from then, and you can't go back to then. Even if you wanted to have, and you had a, a team PR group that was really comfortable with letting people have more leash with the players, mm-hmm. it's cameras yes. and it's the internet because you can tweet out. It's it's Twitter and it's uh, you know video on social media is out almost instantaneous, if not live. Like for example, the Dallas Stars started live streaming on Twitter their pregame interviews with the coaches and stuff, and so. It's exceedingly hard, even in a scrum format, to have anything that you save for later because it's right there. I mean, one thing that a lot of people will notice, and I've had people, I've had, it's interesting just to kind of give fans a perspective on things. I've seen people have asked, well, why didn't I hear you asking this question or that question when, like, they see the videos? And just to kind of give fans an insight into look how things work. 90% 90% of the time, probably even higher than that, when they're doing an interview in the locker room at a morning skate or a practice, um, I'm on the other side of the room. I'm, right. avoiding, I'm avoiding the cameras at all times because um, I want to have those conversations that are more human with, 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 with the players. I want to have those things that are just between me and the players. Even if there's something where I'm talking with another reporter, I'd still rather be in that two reporters talking to a player than the scrum because um, I, people have such a switch. I think I think kind of one of the most glaring examples of it um, is Jamie Alexiak, just to kind of give you a full example. As somebody who, as somebody who's we both covered for quite a bit, you were and obviously played for the Texas Stars when you were doing the play-by-play for them. Jamie is someone who the minute a camera is within, within, social di- appropriate social distance of six feet away jamie jamie turns into a robot his his eye his eye his his eyes are already above your head because he's taller than everyone anyway. that's right and, and then he's now looking even further at the ceiling and he's just answering and, and almost every other sentence starts with, well as i said that's 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 very much every like single, i said like sorry like i said yeah he becomes <laughs> he becomes programmed like a robot yes but you talk to jamie um you talk to Jamie without a camera nearby in a more relaxed environment, and he's great. Like I remember yep. when we were when we were in Calgary this year, um, it was the game. Justin Dowling scored obviously his first career goal. Sick and, goal. But I after the game, there was a scrum going on, on the other side of the room, and so I sat down and talked to Jamie after the game, and just because as someone who played with Justin throughout the AHL, and and he gave me some great stuff talking about, hey, I remember Justin doing trying this move in practice and seeing this and that, and, and all of this stuff. Where if that was on camera, people would be like, who is this guy? Because yeah. that's because the camera view is what the kind of fans is visual get in the locker room. And they don't ever get to see that. And so kind of the Zoom chat, if you haven't watched it, you can go watch it. It's on the NHL website. I think it's like in the Zoom, in the, in the, the pause binge, whatever they call it. It's weird um, that that's a thing now, isn't it? Yeah, but so you can go watch it in there. It's kind of, it's worth, uh, it's worth seeing. And you kind of get a little bit more insight to Jamie's personality. And the other thing that you get to We're see We're talking is, back about Jamie Ben now, not Jamie Lester. Yeah, 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 that's yes. true. Yes. And the other thing about it too is you learn more about guys' personalities with, um, Kind of the uh, see, seeing facial expressions, how they react to things, because pe- Jamie showed personality in ways that may not have been the most quotable, but just simple quips when, when Landeskog is getting asked about which of these guys cheats most on faceoffs, and yes. Jamie jumps into the conversation as well. Gabe's going to say the entire Dallas Stars as a team. Like little stuff like that is great. That's kind of worth watching. And these all, all, all of the 
Zoom calls are actually interesting. You can watch. I think there's obviously uh, uh, there are eight of them total, two for each division, uh, are all pretty good as far as seeing some more uh, personality from guys across the league. Some guys who you already knew they had personality and some guys who you learned some more about. The final thing about this that I want to get into now because we could t- talk about any of these segments for hours is just the travel aspect. And, Sean, this is something that both you and I have discovered is that you also get more casual or relaxed conversation with players and coaches, whether you're uh, – the, the thing that Eric's article mentioned was being on the same commercial flights. Then you're in the airports together, you're on the plane, and so yeah. you, you actually speak like human beings, not in the uh, the sort of scheduled, structured media access window. It's just, hey, you're a person, I'm a person, we happen to be in the same spot, how about that meal we had, or hey, that flight, or, and you can just talk like human beings. And so, well, that's not the same now because of the fact that teams have charter flights in the NHL, is the fact that at least in road dressing rooms and on the road, I get the sense that there's a difference in terms of, I mean, I, I know there is a difference in interaction. Uh, when I was traveling with the AHL team, every AHL team or the you know, yeah. UHL teams I worked for, there's a different type of interaction than, hey, this is when the players and the, the media can speak after practice or games. I, I maintain, if I think my favorite, my favorite part of the job, as far as you're talking about locale to cover somebody within a team, is the road practice. The road morning skate second, but the road practice for me, where you have the, because the road practice, the only people covering the road practice are the media members that travel that travel to cover the team, the people that are around, kind of going through and around the team all year round, and it's such just a relaxed atmosphere. I think I find I get some of the more some of the most interesting human conversations there road morning skate sometimes as well, but you also sometimes get some strangers in there. Um, I'll tell a funny story. We had a, um, one of the more, one of the last trips of the year. Um, hopefully not the last trip of the year, but the <laughs> last trip for the moment of the year we're in Nashville and we're in the, uh, we're in the morning, we're in the, uh, we're in the locker room and, the only people in the locker room at the time were me, Matt DeFranks, uh, Ben Fromstein, as far as non-team players, and uh, and one of the uh, and then uh, Robbie Stanley from NHL.com in Nashville. And it was funny because we were a couple players were joking around. Then Robbie walked in the room, and one player said, "Oh, media guy, we don't know. Let's be careful." <laughs> Love it. That's great. So, so I won't, I won't, I won't say who said that, but that's just kind of a true. That is a true story um, from. Hopefully, there's more trips in the future, but kind of give you an idea of why and why we kind of value practice time, the morning skates on the road, as far as building those relationships and trying to get people those stories of who these people are as these players are as humans. And as much as teams want to protect their players and players don't want to give uh, negative stories and get into the headlines in the wrong way, what Eric's article, and we'll just wrap this up. But what Eric's article was talking about and what I got the sense of when they were trying to do the Zoom stuff is the NHL will be more successful and to a wider, broader audience the more they're able to unpack the personalities of the players because that's who we're going to watch. We're watching this great game, super fast, ultra competitive, incredibly talented, these athletes that are of an elite global scale. And yet, a lot of them, when they interact with the media, which is the conduit a lot of times to the public, you get very guarded, protected, and robotic answers. And 
And mm-hmm. As Eric was saying, and Sean, you've said it many times, and I have too, as a broadcaster, because my, you know, as a broadcaster, my angle's a little different than uh, a typical media, but in the same boat, we're trying to highlight these fun stories, the who these people are, because human interest is an aspect that helps bring everybody together. For example, if you watch the annual HBO films, you know, the hard knocks NFL thing that they do, everybody starts to get a little bit of more insight into some of the fringe players and other insights of that NFL team. You might not have ever cared about the Cleveland Browns, but when they did that, you all of a sudden knew more names, you knew some personalities, and I'm sure that in fantasy, people start drafting more Cleveland Browns because they're aware of them more. That's why all this behind the scenes and all access stuff is super important for your media or sports brand because it helps re- make people relatable and you get more coverage because of it. So yeah. I think that's really uh, an important thing. And I think the NHL would do well and they're, I know they're trying, but I think the players should take it upon themselves to realize that as much as they get paid a ton to play, they should also sell the game as much as they could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Up next in the Quarcast, we'll get off of the seriousness of media coverage and we'll go back into the, well, not that far in the Wayback Machine. It's time for classic game coverage. Okay, in the next segment here of episode two of the Quadcast, week two, I don't know why I said that, that's redundant. Sean, you and I picked a classic Dallas Stars game, which is something we're going to do regularly here as the quarantine continues. Um, news today, actually, out of Dallas County, the stay-at-home guidelines now pushed to just about the end of May, it looks like. Was it May 20th, I think? I think so, yeah. yeah. Earlier this afternoon, I saw that. So, um, now... Just like the news out in Toronto, which was that they canceled all public activities for another couple of months, they did say that does not necessarily imply or apply to sporting events. So that doesn't mean that they have to wait until August or September for the Toronto Maple Leafs to play a game if things were to happen. But um, I think uh, before we get into this classic game, I think we're looking at uh, any hopes of it would be June probably would be the best, wouldn't you think? I think so. I best mean, we're case? Just being, like, I think being realistic, like I mentioned that, obviously, uh, I talked to Lindell today, and he, he and his girlfriend are flying back to Finland next Tuesday. So the fact he's flying to Finland next Tuesday and planning on, once he's getting there, he's planning on a 14-day not leaving at all quarantine, like a not even going to the grocery store quarantine right. for 14 days. Uh the fact that that's happening and there's no, oh, well, I may have to get back in time to skate with my teammates. I mean, we're looking at a long, looking at longer. I mean, I know uh, I saw Pierre LeBron said the other day where he's never wanted to be more wrong, but he's in his gut. He keeps feeling that the NHL season is over. And uh, I, 
I hope I'm wrong too, but I keep kind of fighting that same gut feeling that the next time we're going to see games is October and it's going to be the 2020-21 season. I uh, understand his feelings yeah, and that's yeah. there. I still am not get, I'm holding out hope so I'm not ready to to call it off, yeah. but I that thought's in there. But you mm-hmm. know what, in the interim as we try to live with life without hockey when it should be just about ready for the most exciting hockey of the season, the playoffs, uh, Sean and I thought that it would be kind of appropriate for us to go back and watch a playoff hockey game. So we went back to April 22nd of last year, game six of the first round between the Dallas Stars and the Nashville Predators. Now, Sean, you did an article uh, on this with The Athletic that I chose not to read yeah. because of I wanted to go back and watch the game myself, and I didn't want to see all of your thoughts so that we could have an unbiased conversation and then after we finish recording this, I'll go and read it so that I didn't ignore any of your articles. But um, yeah. just why did you first, because you picked this game first and then I kind of piggybacked off this. What made you pick this game to go back and watch? Well, when I originally, so last week when I did this last week, I intentionally put three game, I put four games out for subscribers or readers to choose from it. It was this one, game seven of the Dallas St. Louis series that everyone I was remembered. I had a Texas Milwaukee game in there and a uh, Flint Kitchener game. And just kind of those four games, just two that had prospect implications, two older. And obviously people picked this game. But the reason I included this game is because I kind of wanted to examine, and this is what my article examined last week was I, it wasn't as much of a film breakdown. It was more of an examination of how important this game was to the stars as a franchise, because you have a you have a franchise who, even though there had been some success, um, obviously when Lindy Ruff was the coach, they won around. They went to the second round of the playoffs. Jamie Benz won the Art Ross. There's been some good moments, but before that game six win last year against Nashville, the last time the Stars closed out a playoff series at home was 2008. That's right. And so, just to me, that was kind of the. To me, this game game kind of was a perfect example of exercising some past demons that the, just for the franchise in general that had kind of not as much plagued the players on the current roster because obviously none of them had been around in 2010, 2011, things like that. But I guess except Jamie, for Jamie Ben, Jamie Ben, right? But, but he wasn't on the 08 playoff roster. That was no, two he wasn't years on the 08, He wasn't on the 08 playoff roster. But for them to kind of, to me, this was a big kind of statement when at home and it's a game too that has some interesting kind of synergy to future events that we'll kind of get into as far as how certain players were used certain roles players had certain uh standouts in the game so my first reactions was i started watching this game sean was the players that were not still on the team right i started the first period of this game and i went oh look there's Ben Lovejoy and Jason Spezza and Tyler Pitlick and Matt Zuccarello. And then Jason Dickinson wearing number 16. Of course, he's wearing number 18 now. And Andrew Cogliano, who was wearing 17 at the time. And, of course, this season he switched to number 11. So from a play-by-play broadcast mind that I have, those immediately jumped into it. And then seeing P.K. Subban and Brian Boyle with Nashville. Yeah. It was a funny storyline because Boyle actually had been out for the previous four games he played the, i think just the first game and then he had an emergency appendectomy so he didn't play a bunch of the series and then this was his first game back and he didn't play a ton even though this one did go into overtime but that first period nashville came out swarming 
and they had a very good start punctuated by Austin Watson's goal off a rebound inside the first six minutes off of a Jason Spezza blue line turnover. And a Brian, Brian, we're talking about guys who aren't with either team anymore. That goal is also a big kind of Brian, Brian Boyle screen in front. Yes. Flex off Boyle. It's a Subban shot. Someone who's also gone, actually, almost everyone involved in the play. Subban shot off Boyle, deflects to Watson for the goal. And it's a goal that gives Nashville had been the better team. It gives them the one nothing lead. Um, but kind of the I, – I, it kind of reminded me of something where when you – it was my – it's a silly saying that my dad had when I was a kid. When I was a kid, um, and we would get home from a sporting event, and we would uh, start mentioning. I remember being a kid, like when I'm six, seven, eight years old, and you'd mention like, "Oh, well, hey, this soccer game or this hockey game, I did this great, I did this great," and everything. You're talking about your game, and my dad always said, "He said one thing: says you'll know, you'll know, you'll notice in your head when you're when you've actually felt like you're really good at a sport when." You start counting your mistakes ha. as, a, as yes. opposed to – and that's something that – and it's something that kind of applies to watching this game for me is you watch Ben Bishop in this game, and even if you want to try and nitpick, you, it's hard to find one. Boy, There's he was no, really good in this game, yeah, wasn't yeah. he? And, 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 and you so know what? Pe- yeah, yeah. Pecorine was really good too. Pecorine was tremendous in this game too. It probably – I mean, it's kind of one of the – if the Pecorine if, – if we – I mean, if you think about it, that may be Pecorine's final playoff game. If the current trend, right. if the current trend continues and UC Soros is takes over the mantle and is the starter next year, I mean, that could be the end. That could be kind of the final image of what Pecorine was in yeah. his career. Um, and both him and Bishop were tremendous in the game. That's kind of my biggest takeaway. And I even got that from looking at the goal because every time you look at a goal, you're like, okay, whose fault is this? Who did something wrong? Who, how can you nitpick? What what could have been done differently? And even with that, even with that goal against, you're like, man, I, there's not much else he could do. I mean, he was that good in this game. And in that first period, even though it's one nothing Nashville, the fact Nashville isn't up by more than one. And the fact that Bishop just calms everything down, I think that's just such a big underlying story. And not maybe not even underlying, just a major. Yep. It is a major story in that game of how much everything is calmed because of Bishop's play in net and a lot of a lot of what they did to kind of and they did this throughout the series where they really eliminated the Nashville forecheck with him puck handling as well. So a couple of the notes I had from the opening period, in addition to that, just observations really was the. Rope Hint, Matt Zuccarello, and Jason Dickinson line that really emerged during the playoffs and right before that. Uh, they were that second line the Stars were desperately looking for, and obviously Zuccarello made a huge impact on that. Jamie Benn had a huge game, did not score, but he had posts everywhere and great scoring. He was, Jamie was really good in this game. He hit the post in the first period on a two-on-one with Radulov. Uh, Dak and Zeke made an appearance on the scoreboard with... Pouring popcorn into Zeke to feed him. Um, Troy, okay. Troy Aikman was in the stands. There were some big time celebrity sightings in Dallas for that one. And then I just this was a side note, but uh, the broadcast because I watched the Fox Sports Southwest version, not the NBC one for this. Um, they still were calling their uh, their cutaway commercial "Our Friends at Ford," <laughs> and they're not friends anymore. They're just now word from Ford. So, yeah. um, but I thought that was funny. 
but even uh, Rope Hintz was on the penalty kill in that first period, Sean, with Yanmark out, if you recall, at the time. So he got hurt, and then Hintz had been playing. So it was interesting to see Hintz on the penalty kill because he was out there with a couple of different guys, Sagan for a bit, Dickinson, Cogliano. And Nashville's penalty or Nashville's power play was just wretched. They were so bad on the man advantage. So bad the entire series. That's what I mean. They, they didn't, they, yeah, they didn't score. It was a carryover of the entire season. Now give Dallas credit, obviously, because to go six straight games without letting a power play goal is a it's a success. But obviously Nashville certainly uh, the level of difficulty was not. We're not talking the Washington Capitals power play being held off the scoreboard for six games in a row. So two things stood out to me in the second period. Blake Como's goal on a three-on-one started mm-hmm. because Foxa poked the puck past P.K. Subban, who made a really bad read of and hesitated to try to pinch but didn't do it. And Foxa made it just a great play, gets out of the zone, goes down, holds it. He has Cogliano on the far side, plays it back to Como, and Como just snaps it below the blocker. Rene, that was a great goal. But the other two things that stood up to me, Sean, were – uh, Bishop made a great double save on Granlin and Turris early in the period, and then a huge save on Arvidsson on a two-on-one in the final minute. Either one of those, and the Stars might not have, even though they were really good in the game, I mean, if that's 2-1 going into the third, they might not have won this hockey game. Yeah, no, Rene was that good. I mean, one of the takeaways for me, and this can either be second period or third period, even continuing to overtime. Now, they had already been together as a line, but... This this game kind of screamed to me the old Jim Montgomery quote from if we have five minutes left in the game, we're trying to win a Stanley Cup, Blake Como's on the ice. Yes. And that was um, – we already knew that line about that line, the Foxa-Cagliano-Como line, the FCC line. And the fact that they were – you see how trusted they were in this big game. You see their role. And obviously you continue to get the St. Louis series, but – it obviously lays that future groundwork for how they were used this season throughout. The other kind of interesting kind of parallel, and, and obviously it's not the two games aren't really related at all in general as far as they're, they're so far apart, but it is interesting to look at the two biggest games against Nashville from as far as a stage go. Um, Blake, yeah. Como, Blake Como plays a huge role in both games. We talked both about the Winter, Classic. The Winter Classic. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, we talked about the Winter Classic last week where Blake Como plays a huge role and then in this one where obviously he scores the big goal, he had probably just as many quality chances as almost anyone else in the game, had some really good chances in overtime. Um, it's just kind of a connection there of against Nashville. Maybe it's a connection of the big game and how Blake Coleman gets trust in those big games. There's a couple different ways to look at it, but I guess that kind of connects between the second. That, that applies to all the entire game for me. Yes, I, mean, I agree. You mentioned, I mean, you mentioned the second period. I mean, to me, this whole game turned into, from the end of the second period on, it became not a big question of would Dallas win, but when would Dallas win? Well, I'll tell and, you, there was yeah. one one ex- uh, exception to that. There were a couple of really good uh, chances in this third period in overtime, but the one that really stands out to me is the Colton Sissons 2-on-0, which really mm-hmm. ended up being a breakaway because yeah. he, he didn't pass it. But he tries to go through the five-hole, and that save by Bishop saves the game. Yeah, even even though the stars hit posts in every period, I mean they were all over the place hitting crossbars, posts. I mean Lindell hit one on the first shot of the third period. Jamie Ben hit several. I mean you talk about Como creating chances. The stars captain should have had a handful of goals in this game, and it wasn't for lack of great shooting. It was 
a mixture of he had one where it went off a shin pad that otherwise would have ended the game in overtime. He had one where uh, Pecorine made a great save. There was one where he didn't elevate the puck up high enough on a pass across from Sagan. I mean, but he was, I mean, this was Jamie Benn as you think of as one of his higher levels. Yeah, he was really good in this game. This is the type of game where he didn't score, he didn't have a point, but it was the uh, type of game that uh, he played a big game. He played a game that impacted the game. He impacted the game every shift. One of the big things about Jamie when he's at his best is he can go out and impact the game in multiple ways. He can impact the game physically. He can yep. impact the game at creating chances. He was doing that both. I mean, I think one of the things that going back is kind of throw back to, to game five, really this whole series went from a, um, I think when I look back at this series, I don't know if you remember in game five, when this series swung is when Jamie basically gave Ryan Ellis the little brother treatment in the corner. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember who, who he set up the goal for, but basically I remember, I remember where I'm in that, I remember watching it. Was it Radulov? It might have been Radulov's goal, but I remember yeah. because it would have been to my right. We're in Nashville, and Jamie Ben goes into the right, the right, the left corner for him, the right corner for Ellis. Essentially, just gives Ellis the little brother treatment to win the puck and throws the backhand pass to the front that I believe was Radulov who scored. And that type of moment was just like, yeah, this is the Stars are winning this series, and that was back in Game Five. To kind of get back to Game Six here. You look at all the chances, you look at what Jamie's done, you look at kind of the depth throughout the lineup. I mean, they could have won this game in they could have won this game three to one, four to one in regulation, but Renee was Renee was great in this game. Well Rene he, was, yeah. he was really good. He stoned Ben uh, after Sagan created a turnover on Suban. Como stripped Suban and Renee stopped him point blank. Uh, Jamie hit the post. But they couldn't. It was down in the final couple of minutes of the first overtime, and the Stars had a rush. And what a play by Radulov! He had Jamie Ben tri- driving the middle lane. He had Sagan going to the net, sort of to the left of Ben, toward not quite back post, but sort of a in the middle rush. And then he had Klingberg at the far left circle, and he waited and waited for everybody to collapse just a little bit. Threw it across to Klingberg, and Klingberg scores on a play that it looked like Tyler Sagan tried to hurdle to get out of the way. Um, And then the place goes nuts. And like you said, it was 11 years before the last time they'd won a a series on home ice. And remember they hadn't won a playoff series period until the 2016 playoffs. They had lost in that first round series against Anaheim in, in really horrible fashion when everybody thought it was going back to California for game seven. That was in 2014. Mm -hmm. And then they missed the playoffs in 15. So they're back in at 15-16. Great team. Win a playoff series, but they had to do it in Minnesota. And that was a tumultuous game. That might be one to, to watch at some point because that game six up in Minnesota where the Stars got raced out to, I think it was a 4 nothing lead and then almost blew it, was yeah. something else. And then obviously they lost to St. Louis in the second round of that. So it was only their second playoff series victory in 11 years. And the first yeah. at home. So they hadn't had a lot of success either home or road in the postseason. So it was it was awesome. And then, of course, the jubilance of the crowd. It was it was just fantastic. And there was no... You know, Sean, the other thing I, I happen to think of as I'm watching this back again is 
there wasn't that hesitation of wait, are they going to challenge for offside? Is there a review? Because <laughs> yeah. there was no, there were no doubts, and it was wonderful because I, I still am all in favor of the challenge system, and I think it's good to have that in there. But it's really nice when the organic reaction of the players and the crowd isn't tempered at all by hold on, we have to find out if this counts or not. Yeah, no, it was that's true. I mean, it was. It's a moment too where, uh, and I put this in my story. Um, it's something where you've seen them up there, and I don't know. Up in the press box, they have there's a there's a wall of pictures that mean something in franchise history. Up in the press box, oh yeah, big giant there's, canvas there's, frames. Yeah, yeah, and um, and the picture of in the celebration from this goal is prominently up in the hanging in the press box now. Obviously, a moment that is pretty big for the franchise and something that. Hopefully, hopefully we don't have to wait. Uh, hopefully, you're not waiting another 11 years between home, home ice victories to close out a series. Um, so, um, I think uh, we've got. I mean, that's what I've got for Game Six. I that's, think. I think we've yeah. done a nice job with Game Six. It was a lot of fun. It reminded you a little bit about where the Stars were. A very good team that could have gotten themselves into the conference final. I think some of the things about this year's team have improved. It makes me yearn for Zuccarello, but I'm not sure if I would necessarily long-term. I still hold true that I, I don't know if I would want a five-year contract with him, but I loved what he did. I'd love to have seen a fully healthy Matt Zuccarello with the Dallas Stars. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's kind of the, the what-ifs factor of what could have been with Zuccarello. Obviously, uh, there were bigger factors in play with the re-signing that had to be considered. Yep. But he definitely, um, if you think about the guys who, because he officially only played two regular season games for the Stars, if you think about <laughs> if, if you think about numbers of jerseys that you see, like you'll still see the occasional Zuccarello jersey at the American Center right now. Probably one of the, not many guys who played two regular season games as a franchise other than their family members is someone getting their jersey. <laughs> All right, that wraps up this segment. I don't know if you can hear my dogs losing their minds in the next room, but I'm going to go say something I, to them really quickly. I and can. we, in our next segment, are going to look at some jersey numbers here on the Quarcast. <laughs> Hello out there, we're on the air, it's hockey night tonight. Tension grows, the whistle blows, and the puck goes down the ice. The goalie jumps and the players bump and the fans all go insane. Someone roars, Bobby scores at the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Segment three of today's Quarcast gives us a chance to look at some numerical conversations that started when Sean and his athletic DFW counterparts went through a very long list of numbers and athletes throughout the Dallas sports spectrum. I admit, Sean, I did not have nearly enough time to sit down, even in the quarantine mode, to go through that whole thing because it was extensive, but... I give you the introduction here because you wanted to use that as a basis for this segment. Yeah, I mean, it was just kind of, I thought it was an in- interesting uh, kind of thing to discuss because obviously when we went and did just kind of the best numbers zero to ninety nine for all all of this 
professional sports in DFW where we built a list and every each one of the writers from each sport gave the best their in their opinion the best player or best representative for that number from each team and then we all voted on them um, and just kind of going through that exercise I thought it'd be interesting just kind of discuss it with the stars um, there have been a lot we've had some other people have gone and written stories in the athletic oh here's the best like I think I saw recently Charlie O'Connor did one for the Philadelphia Flyers here's the best flyers at each number right and i really i didn't really feel the need to write that story but i thought it's an interesting conversation and for the stars even more so i think it's just kind of something where i wanted to kind of go through kind of the lower 30 and i guess we'll call it up to 35 because it's a franchise that they have some retired numbers obviously they have five they'll have a sixth one retired next year but in general the franchise has been kind of believed very much in the old school mentality of we're not going to use football numbers um part of that is it's not an original six franchise and while they did make cup runs in 91 and 81 as the north stars it's not like they had the success of a like you look at the boston bruins the reason the boston bruins have to have so many high numbers is so many lower numbers are retired that's right like and good ones uh, too and yes and so um the stars don't have they have some lower numbers retired which we'll get into in the single digits but in general um there's it's been more of a kind of mentality of we're going to keep our numbers lower. Jim Mill has even said he doesn't like the football numbers. And so essentially, to have a number really above 40, if you play for the Stars, the only way you really have it is if you are the type of player who has the pedigree to say, I want that number. Tyler Sagan, for example, coming in and getting 91. Jason Spezza, when he's here, was 90. Alexander Radulov has always worn 47, so he got 47. Or you essentially had that number and training him and you're kind of still on that number and eventually make it move to a lower number. Um, for example, Brendan Morrow, obviously everyone remembers him as number 10, but his first two years in Dallas, he made the team wearing number 45 <laughs> and eventually was moved as, and so eventually wore number 10. Uh, like you look at some of the guys who have worn numbers in the forties with Dallas, um, you have, uh, obviously Roman Pollock is a different circumstance where he, was he's a guy who's a veteran and gets the number he wants, but the reason he couldn't have 46 the number he wanted was because Jamel Smith had worn 46 in training camp and still continued to wear it. To wear it, so um, I can't. The the stars as far as a team this year, like how many other NHL teams? I can't. There's not many, but I mean, I don't know how many other NHL teams where we would see this year where Tyler Sagan's the only player in Dallas with a number above 50. I think uh, the one that stands out to me is the New Jersey Devils. Um, mm-hmm. And your your old team from back in your your original home state is because <laughs> yes. the Lou Lamarillo Devils were very old school and everything was one to thirty or you know yep. within that range. Uh, I remember when I worked for the Albany River Rats, they had been the affiliate of the Devils for a long time. They had switched just a few years before I got there to the Carolina Hurricanes, and so there were some differences, but they were still ingrained with the you know looking at the media guide for Albany. All those numbers were devil style numbers. Yeah, and New Jersey now is funny to look at, considering you have uh, Hughes wears eighty eight, Subban wears seventy six. There, uh, Louis Domingue wears seventy. There, it's kind of interesting right. to see the because the Lou would not yeah. Lou would not have let that happen, would he? No, he wouldn't have. Um, <laughs> and it's what happened with uh, in the Islanders. It was obviously the same thing, famous thing with Josh Hosang. Or Hosang wore sixty six with the Islanders, and then I believe he switched to twenty one or twenty. I think whatever. The, he's obviously 
kind of had a falling out with the Islanders anyway. But yeah, a little bit. But but he wasn't allowed to wear sixty six. So the Stars have always been kind of they were going to keep the numbers low. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to go through. I think we'll kind of kind of go quickly, kind of through one through thirty. Some will be worth more of a discussion and kind of pick. If you were to pick one guy to say, okay, that's the number, that's number one, that's number two in Stars history, it's that person. Are we going to do North Stars, Dallas Stars, or are we just doing Dallas? We're gonna that's do, important. We're going to use the criteria of us having played in Dallas. Okay, so we have to play in Texas, not in Minnesota. Correct. We're okay, because if you were looking at number one, it'd be hard to not say Gump Worsley because it's one of the great names of all time. It but, is, and he's obviously a Hockey Hall of Famer. Right. Um, but I mean, if you're going through a number one, I mean, number one is kind of a proof to the history of the litany of, of backups in this franchise. And, um, cause it's always very much been the backup number. Um, you know, obviously Belfort were 20, uh, Turco were 35, Bishop wears 30. Um, so kind of looking at number one is the history of who's the best, one of the best backups in franchise history. Obviously you could definitely make a strong case for Anton Hudobin as the best backup. He's four thirty-five. 35. Um, but and so this one you're looking at the list of there's Yohan Edberg, Dan Ellis, but really it's it's gotta be Roman Turk, who was the backup when they won the cup and was um quite good, obviously. I mean, obviously his numbers were he he was kind of similar to the one B that Hudobin's been to not as much as the one B that Hudobin's been to Bishop, but kind of a similar role that he was he trusted backup, which is something that in Star's history has kind of been a hit or miss area. Um Agreed. I mean I, I think the Belfort Turek was probably the best tandem in mm-hmm. franchise history. Now you, we could have a whole argument about that. I think yeah. Ra- Razor and Heike actually did that on their podcast during the season. And it's a fun one to go back and listen to. But the only other one that really stands out to me, Sean is Kari taco. He never played for the Dallas stars. He only played for the North stars, but obviously he's a big part of their European scouting now. So, um, mm-hmm. and I love his, I love the name. Kari taco is awesome. So, uh, number two has to be Darian Hatcher, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, Darian, number two, it's, it's easily Darian Hatcher, captain when they won the Stanley Cup. And then, obviously, since then, it's kind of a question of, I mean, number two is almost a number where if you were to make a case for someone's number should be retired, number two is actually up there in the, well, maybe we should retire for this number category. Yep. Um, um, obviously, it has not retired. It's been since been worn by... Willie Mitchell, Nicholas Grossman, Yerky Okapaka, Chris Russell, Dan Hughes, Jamie Alexiak, but it's clearly Darian Hatcher, obviously. Um, One of the best names in in hockey is Yerky, though. Love it. Oh, great guy. Great guy, too. <laughs> Here's an um, interesting battle for number three. Do you go with yep. classic history of Craig Ludwig? Do you go with the in-between of Stefan Robida? Or do you go with the current guy wearing number three, John Klingberg? Yeah, it's interesting looking at this number because three has been obviously three kind of lengthy stints to look at. Yes. Um, and my initial thought would have been, I mean, to me it comes down to either you look at Ludwig and Klingberg as the two for me. I think that's – and Klingberg is – kind of gets the nod just kind of as – just from his role as a player. And I think he was – his over and. I could make the case for Ludwig. It's like right there, but in my head, I go with Klingberg just being, and I think maybe that even goes to part of having conversations with Craig myself before where he's mentioned John Klingberg is a better player than he was. (laughs) Well, totally different style players. Different style players, but very, uh, obviously those two are the ones that would definitely, you would definitely make the arguments about. Um, Number four is, it's, 
I mean, it's got to be Miro. I mean, there's been so many lots been number that's been worn by a ton of guys. Obviously, maybe the one that is that we should mention just because he later brought number fifty six to Dallas was Kevin Hatcher. Obviously, because <laughs> he was because he was the one who was traded one for one for Sergey Zubov. Uh, but I mean, number four has kind of been it's always been a defenseman, and it's always been it's kind of been a uh, kind of a revolving door of uh, of guys until. Uh, until Miro and obviously if you were gonna but if you were going to before Miro the best player to wear number four uh, was a North Star and that was Craig Harsberg yes uh, Craig Harsberg deserves it but since they moved to Dallas because Matt Fichuk didn't wear number four when he was mm-hmm. on the Stanley Cup team it was no. just his first yeah. year there so really the guy that had the most longevity was Brendan Dillon so yeah it look this is going to be Miro's number until he doesn't play for the Dallas Stars he will become that one for sure he will number four, frankly, if this if, if Miro has the career we think he's going to, he probably will be the last person to wear number four in this franchise. Well, that's, that's high not, expectations, but I think that they're well merited. Yeah. Um, number five is another one that's kind of a um, mishmash of numbers. Um, you have a – you have it's, – it's interesting because obviously you get Trevor Daly wore it for, I think, a day or so. <laughs> it feels like it. Um, it feels like Daryl Sador has to be number five, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know that there were some a comeback of different numbers, but for ten for a decade he was five. I don't think there's much of an argument there. You know what? This might be a story. I'm really curious right now of how Trevor Daly wore two, number five in 2004. There's another Darryl's- story, Sean, that I'm skipping ahead here. That according to this list on Hockey Reference, Chuck Arneson wore number nineteen eleven years after Bill Masterton did. I actually know that story. Ooh. I can, we can we can go over that story. I actually know that story. Um, but the uh, I'm the, I wonder if like this is this is something to look up. I wonder if that's like one game for Trevor Daly where like a there was like an equipment jersey rip and like that's <laughs> a, like I like I'm curious now because obviously Trevor Daly was already wearing number six at that point. And, and Sador was on the team that so that's, that's, that's maybe that's something to do some digging on at some point. Yeah. Who knows what happened there? Yeah. Number six kind of already mentioned him. I mean, it's gotta be Trevor Daly, right? Well, I'm really tempted to say Doug Lidster from personal connections. <laughs> uh, and there's going to be a cross section of fans that are going to fight hard for Julius Honka, but yes, Trevor Daly mm-hmm who wore number six for 11 seasons. I mean, come on. Right. Yep. And then number seven is it's the, it's retired. He's the only guy to wear it in Dallas. It's Neil Broughton. Um, He's someone who's probably his legacy would be even higher in this franchise. If this team had never left Minnesota, if you think about it that way, because obviously he, he was, he was Mr. Minnesota hockey in every sense of the word. While obviously Mike Madano had taken over and had been kind of the big face of the team, if the Stars never leave Minnesota, Neil Broughton is probably is right up there as the first player you talk about in franchise history. Probably, I agree. So, um, number eight is uh, obviously it was worn by Bill Goldsworthy, and it's retired for Bill Goldsworthy. It's never been worn in Dallas. Um, that's one where it was just kind of an old. It was it was a weird thing where just the retirement ceremony didn't happen until the early nineties. And they goes, actually he, they had what seven or eight players that wore it after yeah. him. And so actually, Jim Johnson in ninety two when they retired Bill Goldsworthy ceremony at that game that was the that for that game 
Jim Johnson switched his number. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> so, so um, number nine is we don't even need to. I mean, we we don't even need to talk about number nine. We all know it's going to be Mike well, Madonna. Mike Madonna's the only player in franchise history to yeah. wear it since moving to Dallas. And even if he wore it in Minnesota, which he did, yeah, it's number nine. Number ten is is it's going to be Brendan Moore, obviously twelve year captain, longtime captain for the Stars. Yes. Um, obviously, one of those numbers where people have mentioned before to me, oh, should shouldn't that number be retired? And that's one of those where I, I don't think it should be, but just 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 kind of give you an idea of what that number means to people as far as there's no question. But you get from number ten where there's no question of people who people think about number ten, and then you get to number eleven, and I'm sure if you ask people on the street who's the best Stars player to wear number eleven. I wonder what the answers would be. Wow. I, yeah, I mean, Dan Quinn in 1993, um, I think was still a Minnesota North Star. Was that in the 92-93? That, that was, so yeah, that would have been a North Star. Yarko Varvio was the, uh, <laughs> he actually, he, play, he he wore that number. He was the first ever number 11 for the Stars. He actually scored in the first ever, uh, some Finnish hockey trivia for you. He scored the first, he scored in the first ever, uh, Dallas Stars game. So they had a Finn score in the first ever game in franchise history that went against the Red Wings. Uh, I mean, so he was the first. The longest, Sean, it was Curtis McKenzie. Yeah. Over the course and, of three seasons or so. Yeah. But it could yeah. be could be Cogliano at the end if the Stars were end up winning a cup. But yeah, 11's not been one that has been really, you know, solidified by anybody. No, I mean... 12 is the next you, you jump to number 12 and it's one that is uh, it's 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 one that's always been worn by a player who's kind of played the similar similar role Mike Keane played a similar role to Radic Fox and um, and uh, Fox, I mean, you know what Foxa could be the guy if he I think Fox, yeah, the biggest think question is the Sean is is that I mean I think he's the guy already yeah. um, but then I wonder too if um, what happens if he survives the expansion draft in two summers, not this summer, but next year yep. and the start, he'll be with the stars for a long, long time. If that's the case. Yeah. It's another good question. Um, number 13 is, I think you have to go with Bill Garrett. Oh, from, no doubt. I, I know yeah. some might argue for Chris Barch because of his physical presence, but I like Billy yeah. Garrett there, even if it's not for that long. Yeah. Number 14, we know it's Jamie Ben. It's obviously you're not going to go anyone else. Poor Stu um, Barnes. Yeah, poor Stu. Um, That's an interesting this, fun fact for those that don't know. Stu Barnes was the last player to wear 14 before Jamie Ben. Yeah, that's a yeah. Um, and then he obviously Stu went on to coach Jamie at a couple different stints in his career. Um, 15 is one where it's got to be Jamie Langham. Has to be. Really. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I like Dave Gagne a lot, and he was there for the first couple years in Dallas. Obviously, a, a great player, but I feel like for if you're talking Dallas Stars history, it has to be Langenbrenner. Number sixteen, we may have our first case of the same player getting both getting two numbers. You think? Well, because I mean, obviously, Brett Holt didn't wear sixteen when he scored the goal, but he finished. He then switched to sixteen um, for the final two years in Dallas. And you look at his numbers, and you look at the his his career. I mean, it's kind of. I mean, I, it's hard to make a case for anyone else. How about Pat Verbeek? I like that. 97 to 2002, the little ball of hate. You can make a case for it, but I, I think I'd still go with Hole based off just kind of the, 
I think I think the goals and what he did those next two years was still in the regular seasons was worthwhile, but we can agree to disagree on All that. Right. That's fine. I'm, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out with yeah. uh, Joe Pavelski's career with Dallas. Yeah. Number 17 is, I mean, is it is it De- is it Devin Shore? Like, I mean, I, I mean, honestly don't know the I don't know the answer. I mean, unless unless we're I mean, let's let, Brett Severn always gives us crap for saying we never excite him, invite him onto the car cast. I know. So maybe we have to go with Brent Severn. And it, I'm sure Seve's not listening, but if he is, we are, we've told him many times he has an open invitation to carpool with us, and he yes. always turns us down. A um, mm-hmm. couple names that I like on this list are Rich Peverly. Obviously, mm-hmm. sentimentally, and he's a great player. Obviously, had yeah. a terrible 2014 year. And then Toby Peterson played for a number of years with that number up and down, you know, yeah. mostly up, then toward the end down with the Texas Stars. But 17 is one that's definitely been passed around quite a bit. And it's a number that I guess if Nick Kamano is able to set himself in the lineup in Dallas for a long term, has a chance to be number 17. Just if he could do it for five yeah, or six yeah. years, he'd be by far the longevity there. Yeah. Um, number 18 is another, we're kind of still in that range of numbers that were passed around quite a bit. I mean, I mean, Jason Dickinson has that number now, but Jason Dickinson's number has changed a couple times. Yep. Tyler Pillick and had it's it for not a couple the, years. And 18 is not Jason Dickinson's preferred number if he were ever to get no. it. Yeah. I so, mean, I'm kind of tempted to say James Neal from 09 to 11, even though he's no longer a Dallas star. I mean, he was a bright upcoming young player. I, I, but I, I think it's hard. I think you have to go with James Neal on that one. It's um, you have um, yeah. I mean, it's hard to go with anyone other than that one. Um, Nineteen is obviously he's retired for Bill Masterton, um, and really what happened with so Chuck Arneson Ward in nineteen seventy nine, and really the Stars uh, just didn't retire it right away. It was kind of been it had kind of been unser- had been kind of unofficially retired and hadn't been used for eleven years. Right. Arneson got it, and then. Kind of once Arneson wore it, there was kind of a bit of that instant, like, what are we doing? Like, why, like, how can... How is this possible? Right. And that, and, and so kind of the result, like, that's why if you look at hockey reference right there, it just says 79. It doesn't even say a full season. It right. wasn't 79, 80. It was like, we can't do this. We have to retire this number. And so they didn't retire it right away officially then. They didn't put the banner in the rafters right away. But that kind of the reaction to that internally, and I, this is kind of some something I learned when working on my book, was how... When Arneson wore it, and there people are looking at it like he can't do that, and that's why huh. obviously that's why there's a second person to wear it, and it should have never happened. Um, Number twenty is a tough one, Sean, because you think mm-hmm. it should be easy. It's sort of the difference in two generations of Dallas Stars fans, because for most people that followed the team back in the late '90s and early 2000s, it's Ed Belfour. He won the Stanley Cup. It should be Ed Belfour, but there are a chunk of Dallas Stars fans when they think of number twenty, they think of Cody Eakin. Yeah, well, I it's but so it, it's some, Ed Belfour. It's Ed Belfour. There may be some people who think about Cody Eakin that way, but it's definitely Ed Belfour. Of course. Um, Twenty one is. Uh, I mean, it's you look at the franchise history, and this kind of leads to. It's it's interesting because obviously some big names the, on that list for Dallas and and actually for Minnesota as well. But I I can't get past Guy Carboneau. Yeah, and it's probably Guy Carboneau. Um, and just the one we'll just bring up just because it's kind of the case of the stars staying away from football numbers is Antoine Roussel is on this list for number 21. He wore, he wore number 60 before that. And briefly, some, briefly. Uh, and, and some, he, he never planned to change his number. And then essentially the stars, he was basically told by management of we're getting away from those football numbers. You're going to change your number. <laughs> right. And, 
he felt bad about it. So Antoine actually offered, and I believe he actually did pay for a couple people to switch their jersey, their Antoine Roussel jersey, from 60 to 21. And he, to this day, remains the only player who has worn 60 as a Dallas star. Yeah, yeah. Um, about that number, though, I mean, there's some good ones. Carboneau, uh Louis Erickson, and Antoine Roussel. And then the, the other thought is, Sean, Jason Robertson could be in a position to really put a, a – for the next decade, where that number? Yeah, good chance. A really good opportunity there. Um, definitely someone to, that's where you obviously were in his debut, and that's it's not going anywhere unless the Stars were to make some sort of move and bring in some veteran that said, I want 21. But I don't, <laughs> there's not many guys right. I can think of who said, who held the I want 21 cachet. Um, number 22, I mean, it's been, it, it's, it's gotta be Brett Hull scoring the goal. In, I mean, that's the iconic picture of Brett Hull scoring be, right? overhead. There's yeah. 22. Yeah. He uh, wore it in the Stanley cup year. I know the only other one that I even give a shot to is Colton Sevier wore it for about five seasons and had some good terms, yeah. but come on, it's Brett Hull running it's away. Brett Hull. Yeah. Uh, number 23 is probably Essel and Dell. Probably. I mean, I know there's some Tom Wandell fans out there, but yeah, no, it has to be. Yeah. 24 is a uh, – it's one that it, – it's it's Matt Vichuk right now. It has to be Matt Vichuk. It, but, it, but it's Rope Hins has a uh, – but you look at guys who have an opportunity to say this is – because yep. you see – for example, you see a lot of 24 jerseys right now just because of all the Rope Hins winter classics and everything like Fair. that. So it's a um, – it has a chance. I'm not saying it's it's top Matt Vichuk yet, but it's just kind of a uh, conversation there. Um 25 is Joe Newendike. I don't think there's any question about nope, that. Not, and, and honestly, everybody that's worn it since, respect to all, due respect to all those players, nobody has been able to really put their stamp on it. I mean, Brett Ritchie was in it for the longest, but come yeah. on, Joe Newendike is, it's not even the same weight class. Yeah, and 26 is Yuri Lettinen. Obviously, there's no question about that. And nobody's worn uh, it since, so that's great, and it's retired now. Yeah, and number 27 to me is Shane Sherlock. Just from a... Oh, of course it's a, Chucky. Yeah. It has to be. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, Shane Churla was the first pop, most popular player in Dallas Stars history. More than Madonna, it was Churla. Now, when I say first, I don't mean like the when people look back. Because if you ask somebody Dallas Stars, who do you think of? You think Mike Madonna. But yeah. initially, when the team got to Dallas, Churla was probably even more popular than Madonna early because with people that were still learning the game, he was the one out there throwing his fists, and everybody loved him. He was also in the first ever team commercial too. There's a there's a great <laughs> team commercial where it says the Cold War is coming. Shane Churla stands up. He's putting his gear on. He punches a wall. Walks out. And it's funny because they didn't have Dallas Stars jerseys yet at the point. So he's actually wearing a North Stars jersey, and they never <laughs> they never they never cut to the front. It's just always from the shoulder back and him walking out. But um, so it's it's Churla. Uh, 28, this is a long list, but it, I, I'm thinking Stephen Johns. I mean, it's... I'm tempted to say Bob Basson because he's the director of the Stars alumni and he's great. But I think Stephen Johns, with the story that's gone through and mm-hmm. what we think he can do in the next few years if he re- maintains his health, which it looks very co- promising right now, it, yeah. could, it could very well be him because it's been a number that's traded around basically – I mean, Basson was in there for three seasons, but everybody else, it's been, you know, hit or miss. So, yeah, it could could very well be Steven Johns. Yeah, we're going to close it. We're just going to go one through 30. We'll close it off after that. Well, because we could do a 45-minute segment of this. We we, we could, and we don't want to do that. Um, 29 is Steve Ott. 
it's got to be nine years, 2003 to 2012. All due respect Mark... to the Anders Lindback family. <laughs> and the Greg Banner and the fans out there. <laughs> um, well, and... you know what, Sean? Long run, it could be the Jake Ottinger. It could be. It definitely could but be. But it's definitely um, the Otter right now. Yeah. And then uh, then number 30 is Ben Bishop. It's It's got to be. Um, obviously, there's... Manny Fernandez had a respectable backup career here, but it's... You know what? You're going to have to fight Bruce because he's a, a diehard Cesar Maniago fan. Yeah, but we're talking about starting... I know, but he's still going to be slighted by it. Eh, well, it's... I'm still going to go with Ben Bishop. Anywho. I, I'm with you on that, so... Uh, I mean, obviously, we could go on and on, but pretty much, I mean, once you start, if you go, if anyone goes to Hockey Reference and looks at this, basically, once you get past 33, 34, 35, it starts getting, pickings get slimmer and slimmer. Like, we don't need to, t- like, Ivan Vishnevsky is the only player that's ever worn 59. <laughs> uh, Eric Lindros wore 88, so that's a fun one to remember. Um Brian Lawton wore 98, which never worked out very well. So The highest um, number ever worn because nobody in their right mind is ever going to wear 99, and now they can't. So, Well, Brian Lawton kind of was in the very unfortunate spot with the North Stars where they drafted him second overall, and they gave him 98, saying he was going to be as good as Gretzky, just almost as good as Gretzky, and they just set him up to fail. It was yeah, terrible. Yeah, that's not good. It was terrible, terribly managed. So, um, any with that and other things that have been terribly managed, our time on this segment. Oh, so, as, as per usual. <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, take a let's let's kind of take it into uh, segment four, where we inevitably once again Woo-hoo. go over go go over time. It's time for the lightning round, folks. <laughs> Our final segment here for episode two of the Quarkcast is, of course, the lightning round. And we thank everybody for being engaged in this and sending us your questions and comments. Sean, let's start it off here. You tee off our first question as we uh, get going with our final segment, of course, staying well within our time parameters. Hopefully. Yeah, we're going to go... Back to uh, Ryan Skinner, who kind of brought the first question. Obviously, remember, for anyone listening, use the hashtag. That's how we uh, make sure we... Uh, that's how we find your, your questions. questions. That's how we find questions. I, I just have a tweet deck column open for that. So Ryan said, uh, piggyback, piggybacking off Sean's article on The Athletic, should Ty DeLandry make the NHL team next season? And what veteran on the current roster would he most likely end, wind up replacing? Um, so... I, I do believe that Ty Delandria has a really good chance to make the team next year. I think he's kind of in that group of players that have a chance to make the team. I think him and Jason Robertson, I'm not sure if there's a, there could be a spot for both. There could be a spot for one and not the other. There's a couple moving parts there, obviously. Either way, Ty Delandria does turn pro next year. If he's not playing in Dallas, he will be playing for Texas. Um, which would be good either the, way. Which would be good either way. Um, the thing for Ty that I think just kind of – I guess the question with Ty Delandria becomes, 
what role do you want, what role are you looking to fill and what role will he play? Right. Um, because while, while Ty DeLandria, I believe, can play a third, fourth line role right away, Jason Robertson can't. Jason Robertson, to play in the NHL, needs to be in a higher spot in the lineup. Yes. And so that's that's why Ty DeLandria probably may have that edge in who gets a spot. Um, and you talk about who's getting replaced. I mean, it's not really that big of a session because I really don't think Matthias Yanmark or Corey Perry are back with the Stars next year. I and think so you if you're to... going to pick one, I think Yanmark has a better chance of re-signing than Perry yeah. does. Just but my hunch. Yes, but I, I do. But there's a good chance both are not back next year yes. just because of the money you need to re-sign Rope Hens and Dennis Gurionov and things like that. Do you and think so there'd be I, a chance that Perry would take a Jason Spezza-like deal like he did with Toronto, something really you know low just to keep going? Or do you think there's going to be enough interest out there from other teams that he won't have to do that? I don't think the Stars would be wise to do that. What, you don't think the Stars would sign Perry to another one-year, one-and-a-half-million-dollar deal? I don't think. I, mean, I don't know if they would, but I right. don't think it would be wise. Okay. I don't think it would be smart to do it. That they don't um, need to, perhaps, because they have other guys. No, they don't They don't need to do okay. it. I would not do I, it. And I'm not so, arguing that he yeah, should be. Yeah. I was just curious if you thought the market's there for Perry with, you know, so he could make 3 or $4 million. I don't think that market's there anymore, but I think even I think even the 1.5 is a bit rich. But the Jason Spezza we're, Jason Spezza we're talking is 700K. Like, it's... Yeah, um, you're right. Um... But, but so here's I, the other I, I, thing I, I, is that with Delandria, he has to be in the top 12. Because correct. if not, yeah, yeah, no, not they, they not send him down to the AHL and he plays massive minutes and that's fine. So if Ty yeah. Delandria is on the opening night roster next He's season, playing. he has to be in the top 12. And I think, Sean, assuming that your third line stays the same mm-hmm. with Cogliano, Como, and, and Foxa, they're all under contract. Yeah. So it's really your fourth line center. Yeah, and that's okay. I mean, I'm be I'd be okay. I mean, Justin Dowling is a perfect thirteenth forward. Um, you you might have Jason Robertson involved. There might be a free agent signing. It might be that there's a battle between Gurionov and Robertson for a winger spot in the second line. Good problems to have. Yeah. So I but I think there's a chance the Landry makes the team, and I think there's a good chance. Um, it'll just kind of depend on what other moves are made and how those opportunities are handled. Um, Court has the next question. What are your kids and your favorite Disney movies? Ooh. Okay. So my kids are starting to grow out of some of the Disney movies. They're still watching them all, but they, for example, it took a little bit of arm twisting to get them to watch frozen two for the first time. They had seen the first one, but as now a fourth grader and a second grader, the two boys weren't initially thinking that that was then the top of their priority priority list. Then we watched it and they actually really enjoyed it. But um, my favorite Disney movie from when I was a kid was Robin Hood. Absolutely, I love that. Loved I love that, that one. One, one yes. of my all-time favorites. I had it on VHS and I watched it a million times. Um, that was a, lot, a good one. A lot of great Disney movies, but Robin Hood was my favorite when I was a kid. Yeah, I'm trying. I mean. When I was a very little kid, and I guess I have seen Frozen 2 now enough times, and Frozen, <laughs> and Frozen and Frozen 2 to kind of understand what my mother went through when I was a child. When I was a very little kid, and just because I've known this for a while, and now I, looking back as a parent of a young child, I realize, you say, apparently the movies I did that with when I was young was Bambi and, um, and The Jungle Book. Nice. And, and my mom, if anyone's seen The Jungle Book, you know the opening music? 
Yes. That puts that put my mom to sleep every time. So like <laughs> I remember as a kid, I remember as a kid we would Jungle Book would go on and my mom would fall asleep on the couch and then I could kind of run around the house a little bit more and get, get you, into more things. You know what? That doesn't knowing your personality, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. But that, that that was mine as a kid. Now, obviously, right now for my kids, it's my, my daughter loves Frozen and Frozen Two, and that's the those are the two that she absolutely loves and sings walking around the house and everything. Um, kind of more recent movies that I thought were really good Disney wise. I really like the uh, the Wreck It Ralph movies and the yes. sequel was really good. Yeah, too. they I were good. Those were, yeah, I thought those were both really we good. We just watched Ralph Breaks the Internet, which is the second one. Yeah, Again, I mean, we've seen it a bunch, but yeah, uh, my kids are uh, went through a phase where they love the the Mighty Ducks movies, which are also Disney. Um, originally, Pixar and Disney were separate companies. Then Disney bought Pixar out. Anything Pixar is phenomenal. I'm, I'm a huge Pixar fan, so I can't really go wrong there. And, you know, I also, Sean, kind of allowed the kids to a couple years ago start watching the Marvel movies and they're big fans mm-hmm. of that. So yeah, I guess that's not Disney, those, but I mean, I guess technically it's, it's interesting to see whether you, I guess the debate is whether you include those in Disney or not, because you can watch all of those on Disney plus and everything like that, because those are good. Those are good movies. Uh, um, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, yeah. Of the, uh, what of the Marvel movies? What is there? Do the kids have a favorite or? Um, that's a good question. I mean, so many of them now. Yeah, it just, it's phase. They go through phases, right? Of yeah. which one do you want to watch? I think they're big into the Spider-Man movies, both the the regular ones and Into the Spider-Verse, which was also great. I know you're a big fan of that one. Into the Spider-Verse is great. That's a wonderful movie. The uh, as far as the like non, if you're, if you're going in kind of the Marvel universe of movies that aren't cartoon and in that big universe they've I built, mean, I was a big. They. I was I, a big. Go ahead. <laughs> I was a big fan of it. I was I was a big fan of the Guardians of the Galaxy. I really like yes. that. Yes. As far as movies that aren't that actually in that universe. I also but. like the humor in those ones. Um, I my kids are into that, but they really like the Thor movies. Thor. Okay. I think yeah. if I had to pick one, it's probably Thor Ragnarok. There's a lot of that's a, a lot that's of a humor in that one. But again, yeah. we've watched them all. We've watched. I think we watched Doctor Strange again recently because mm-hmm. we can stream them on Disney Plus now as well as. Yeah some on Netflix and we own some and oh geez. Yeah. I watched black Panther again recently. That was good. So another good one. Yeah. Um, from Raphael, um, is Ricard Gronberg still a candidate for the head coach position in Dallas? Yes. I, I mean, it's, sure. you still have lots of open and options, yeah, lots of things that could pass. I personally like Gronberg as a coach. He's someone that I would, definitely talk to if I were in a hiring position for the stars. Now, whether they will or not is something that's to be determined. Uh, I also, for example, I know he has a, um, I've I've actually talked to uh, John Klingberg about him before. I know John Klingberg thinks he'll be a great NHL head coach someday. I talked to John Klingberg about him. um, It would have been near the end of last season about Gronberg and whether he could coach in the NHL. And it wasn't about whether he could coach the Dallas Stars. Right, because he had Montgomery. yeah, it was right. just someone who, as a as a Swede, and had played for him. And what do you thought of him as a? And so I, I definitely think he's someone who could be a candidate, and especially with this Stars roster being so heavily European, it's something that would fit. I mean, obviously, there's there's not many. There's uh, obviously Ralph Kruger in Buffalo is a European coach, and uh, that's the only European coach in the NHL right now, I believe. Head coach. Head coach, yeah. Yes. Um, and so I, I think Gronberg would be 
definitely someone would definitely look into. Um, it's funny, Sean. We talked about this last week a little bit. Is that yeah. hopefully this season doesn't? I, I'd like to see him play, even if they have to do it in the summer and do something goofy. But if it does get canceled, I think it really hurts Rick Bonus's chances of being the head coach next season. Yeah, I agree. That's something where yeah. we said that last week, and still stand by that. Um, AJ uh, asked, staying with the topic of best broadcasts in the NHL, this is obviously a reference to uh, the story recently. The Athletic pulled people from across the league. In the Great Stars article. Bro- really liked Star- it. Yeah. Stars, Jonathan Willis did a really nice job with that. Stars TV broadcast finished ranked second. And uh, one thing I loved about that article was the fact it was ranked by just the fan perception. It wasn't ranked. By, it wasn't a writer no. ranked them. It was, a, so it was of, just the yeah. fan surveys from... And I, I think the neat part about that, Sean, was the fact that it was not just because it was comparing the ranks of how the local fans felt about their own team and how out-of-market fans felt about those broadcasts. Yeah, and so the question from AJ was, who's your favorite broadcast team of all time? Ooh. Um, um, I, being a Maine native, am partial to Gary Thorne. I really loved his calls back in the day. But I also yeah. really love the team of my, of Doc Emmerich and John Davidson. I thought uh, JD was just tremendous, and I loved him as a broadcaster. He just has so much personality. Some great guys today, but but when I was growing up, Emmerich and Davidson. I know you were a Devils guy, so you probably mm-hmm. loved Doc as well. When he yeah. probably wasn't even going by Doc as a nickname, just Mike. And but to me, Gary Thorne was always probably my favorite. Uh, I didn't get a lot of Bob Cole up in Canada on Hockey Nights in Ca- Hockey Night in Canada. We d- we didn't get those broadcasts. So, so for me, Gary Thorne was top notch at the time, and I haven't seen him do a hockey game since ESPN had the sport. So it's been a while. Yeah, I mean, I, for me, it's not as much team. I just I grew up with Doc Emmerich doing Devils games, and so to me, that was kind of the 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 big one. Um, I, uh, I mean. What was it, the Gary, yeah. Gary Thorne, Bill Clement? Was that the duo? They, they, they were pretty good, yeah, yeah. for ESPN. I like B- yeah. Bill Clement still does some stuff for the Flyers. He's not their all-the-time guy because they have Keith Jones, but I really mm-hmm. like I like Bill Clement a lot. I mean, yeah. there's a bunch of really good color commentators out there. So I'm at the point now where it's interesting when I watch a game. Um, it's more often, and I think it's more often that I, I guess I, I look at play-by-play and color commentators now is the way you look at like great defensemen where if you don't notice them and they add to the game they're doing a great job and if you notice them you're then i so to me it's more so and i don't want to i'm not going to say any names because it's not professional (laughs) for me to do so but there's more times where i'll watch a broadcast and someone will be like i'm like that guy is distracting from the game i would agree as opposed to someone who is telling the story of the game properly and like that great defenseman who you may never notice them, but they're always doing their job correctly. And you, but if you, if you take a deeper listen or a deeper watch, you're like, they're, they're really nailing it. So, um, that's kind of how, but for me, Emmerich was kind of the growing up, both the nostalgia and he was obviously still is, does a tremendous job in, um, in, in his job there. Um, the, uh, tweeter Greer, What's your guess on when free agency will open this year? Grocery stores here are out of bread and flour. I guess everyone is taking up stress baking. Are you all cooking more? I think Sean can attest to the fact that flour is a hot, hot commodity because at his house, it's, there's a lot of baking going on. Uh, we are out of flour, and I went to the grocery store yesterday, and there was no flour. Oh. Uh, 
I actually have, uh, it's funny, like I was joking, like I actually have enough toilet paper here probably to trade for flour because cause that apparently seems to be the hot commodity. I think I have some uh, stored up flour from a previous baking excursion where more was purchased back before this whole thing when it yeah. wasn't needed. So there's a, I think I have some uh, surplus flour if you want. Yeah. You Although um, I have to give my wife a lot of credit. She anticipated some hoarding of supplies early and I, I made fun of her. I said, why did you buy all this toilet paper? We don't need it. And it wasn't a lot. It was just, it was like she bought two packages, you know, of it when I had just bought it a week before. And I go, yeah. what are you doing? This is just, we don't need this. And then as soon as this hoarding started and toilet paper disappeared, she was walking around the house like she was a million bucks, which give her credit. She foresaw the problem. Yeah, we, we didn't have it based off this problem, but we had, we get like an, an Amazon subscribe and save box. And right. my, my wife has toilet paper in there and it's the size that we never go through that amount in a month anyway. And so I already had a couple that had just been like stacked up under the stairs and everything like that. <laughs> um, that, that's, and on top of that, so there's two, and then the other thing that, so that's coming in, and so like we would get the subscribe and save, and so basically the three things we had way too much of seemingly at all times, uh, toilet paper, dog food, and diapers. <laughs> so, um, and now in the next month's shipment, the only one that's coming is dog food, because the only one that's coming in the next month's Amazon subscribe and shave shipment is dog food, because the other two are out. So it's oh, actually, wow. br- so so you're it's actually brilliant. It's brilliant. I mean, I mean, we're actually, I don't know. I, I, we're in a pretty good shop spot with all the diapers and everything like that. But for someone else who has kids around their age, if you don't have it, I don't know what you're doing right now. Yeah. (laughs) That's gotta be tough. I mean, there's always the garden hose in the backyard if you really get down to it or something. Um, the last part about it. Yeah. We're cooking more, but I mean, we always try to do when we're home, I'm just Mm -hmm. home more, right? There's no, Stars games, Homer Road, where I might go buy some takeout or eat at the American Airlines Center. So to, but we always try to, because it's a lot cheaper to make your own food than it is to do takeout and and go to you know dinners you, out a lot anyway. But you, you tend to eat healthier too. Actually. Yes, and the other thing is, and then I know that this, I that Sean can attest to this too, is that when you travel a lot, when you come home, the last thing you want to do is go out to a restaurant because that's all mm-hmm. you've been doing on the road. Yeah, I mean, you typically, I, I enjoy cooking. Like, I've been doing a lot more cooking just from the, uh, A, kind of the need, because I've been kind of playing more of the, the full-time dad role since my wife is still working from, from home, already worked from home full-time before all of this, and just kind of, it's been enjoyable to do it. Um, it's been, today, it's kind of cold today, but I've been able to grill some more, too. That's yes, been nice. I've been doing um, that a bit lately as well. Uh, Will, yeah. our buddy, who has a very contentious taxi service that we saw this yes. week with he and his buddy. Yes said agree or disagree he missed he said agree it disagree with i think he t- had a typo there Probably With, agree to disagree or agree to disagree i think it's or agree, agree or, dis- or disagree is what he's going okay. for so come on will get your spelling and syntax right uh with the fans choice of top play for the season of for the stars bracket it was a tremendous play by sagan but rad's uh, winter classic game winner was such a memorable moment for the franchise okay so what Will or who loves a taxi? <laughs> who loves a taxi? Is is referring to is the stars this past week on social media did a bracket of, had fan votes of who which you know goal or save was the best and Tyler Sagan's overtime winner in Montreal, which was maybe the prettiest goal of the season, won over 
some other ones, including your favorite, which was the Anton Hudobin save against Chicago. And the one... Well, I, didn't, I, didn't say, I didn't say that was the play of the year for me. No, but it was one of your favorites. Yes, yeah. yeah. I said okay. one, one of your favorites. And gotcha. Yeah, I agree with Will. I thought that circumstantially that the Radulov World Cup, or Winter Classic game winner was the most memorable moment and one of the in franchise history. I got into a Twitter argument with our TV producer, Doug Foster, about that because the old man is trying to chase me off his lawn. But when you think about it going forward, and this I'll stick to my guns here, if you ask now, best moments in Stars history, I think the, the, the two or three biggest that people would instantly go to are Stars won a Stanley Cup, the Winter Classic, and if you really want to argue, maybe that we talked about Brendan Morrow earlier, that Morrow four overtime goal to win the, win the series against the San Jose Sharks, maybe. I think in five or ten years, it's barring another Stanley Cup victory, it's going to be the Stars victory in 99 and the Winter Classic as the two that come to mind most frequently amongst Stars fans. Um, I mean, I guess, I mean, I, I think there's, there's, I think there's way more from those, that, that late nineties teams that, of course, were, but that's, but I'm I not did. talking about like die hard. Hey, what was the, oh yeah. You remember in, you know, 1997 when so-and-so did this against the Oilers, yeah. you go, yeah. So for people that experience that, yes, but there are a ton of stars fans that weren't coherent enough or aware because they were too young to remember that nine nine run. So I think if you, and, and of course things bleed over time, right? Mike Madonna becoming the all time leader in Amer- the most, the biggest goal scorer in us player history is an incredible individual achievement, but it's not one that the casual Dallas stars fan remembers. And it's also on the road. Well, that, and that's my point. So yeah. to me, those two big moments, even though the winning the Stanley cup happened on the road, it's the Stanley cup. I just think that in the long run, you're going to remember that more than all those other ones because it was such an iconic thing for Dallas, the franchise, and the city. And it's so unique too. I mean, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I also I well, I appreciate with that. The, yeah, I also disagree. <laughs> I disagree. I mean, Sagan's goal was a tremendous individual effort and things like that, but it's the type of goal that um, honestly people will forget. Just like I mean, and I also think I also I also think a lot of the voting goes down to um, there's certain player voting too, where I think there's people who are just Tyler Sagan fans who are who are going to vote for something that's Tyler Sagan related, no matter what it is. And I, I mean, it was goes, this year. It was a filthy highlight reel goal from a oh, and, and no right. One's, no one's disputing it. No, no one's disputing that. But, but I, I think, think the Stephen are... Johns goal was more sentimental, and so it probably means more in the long run than the Sagan one does. No, but there, there simply are put. There is a, there is a large subsect of people that are just Tyler Sagan fans, and so I think that also helps fill the ballot box too. I agree with that. All right, so Christian wrote two questions. One was about Delandria. We already touched on that. His second one is, is there any chance Honka comes back to this team under a new coach, or what do you see happening with him? Sean, a new coach is not, at this point, they've tried, what, four? Yeah. It's been four, right? Well, he played for he played for Montgomery. He played for Ruff. He played, played for Ruff. He played for Hitch. It's, I mean, it's been three for him. He never played for bonus. Okay. So, so three different head coach. I mean, what's a fourth going to be? Well, and also, it's not the coaching staff only. I mean, it's also the GM doesn't 
doesn't want him. And right. that guy's still making the decisions. Like, um, the GM is just holding him as, as an asset right now to try to get the best possible value, and he's not getting that. Um, I also, Julius Honka did absolutely nothing in Finland this year to say, oh, I should go out and trade for you. Like, no, there's, if you have a scout, I've, I talk to scouts all the time. If you if you were a scout based in, in Europe, nothing about Julius Honka's game said, wow, if this guy was, like, if this guy, if Julius Honka had been an unsigned, if Julius Honka was an unsigned college free agent or unsigned European player, unsigned European player who had 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 his type of year, he'd be like, oh, you know what? Maybe ten or fifteen teams might be interested in signing him based off his year. But interested just as you know what? Maybe he could come in compete compete in camp, play in the AHL. He did nothing in Finland that said he should play in the NHL. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to agree with you completely on that, Crawdaddy. Yep. Let's get to actual lightning round here. Yep. Yeah. Uh, or at least a little quicker. Crawdaddy says, yeah. with the Stars hosting an NHL draft in a Winter Classic, do either of you see the All-Star game returning to Dallas? 2007 feels like so long ago. Um, I could see it, but I think the bigger, I think the, the big events on the Stars radar first are A, a game in Mexico, and then another game, and then doing something abroad in China or in Europe. That is really, that's expanding the global brand is bigger yes. on their on their on their on their uh, radar right now although that and, may be uh, a little bit of a hiccup because of the covid it might, it might be a hiccup but in general the stars are looking at how do you build a global brand and hosting the winter classic hosting the draft those are more global things the all-star game for all that it is you I, I mean i couldn't i only know where it was because i've talked to players who have gone otherwise you, I don't really know where the All-Star game's been the past couple of years. I know when a game is where Winter Classic is. I know where a a uh, game in Europe is played. I don't think an All-Star game really goes into Brad Albert's plan of saying, hey, we're growing our international fan base. Right. No, I agree with that. <laughs> our, uh, our buddy Galbagus, here's a proposition for the Quadcast. Would Sean be willing to sing Let It Go on the Air if Owen is willing to wear the schoolboy outfit. <laughs> the funny thing about that is that's not a really good trade-off because I never said I wasn't willing to wear the schoolboy. It was yeah. you that didn't want to do that at a Dallas Stars game. I yeah, mean, it's, it's, I'm not going to do it at a Dallas Stars game. I mean, I can't, I mean, I'm in my home right now. I can't remember the last time I've worn real pants. <laughs> I, uh, I wore jeans to go to the grocery store today because it was cold out. Like I didn't leave the house today. Like I've worn, like I've worn, I've worn, I've worn shorts, or I'm wearing like pajama pants. That's what my attire has been. Shorts um, for me for almost every day of the quarantine, with the exception of uh, trips out where it was colder, because yeah. it's been pretty warm. So a couple times throw the jeans on, but yeah, you're right. A lot of shorts right now. But no, I have no problem with the schoolboy outfit. I, I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to wear it all the time, but if I had to do it, it would be fine. Yeah, and I mean, I'm at the point too where I, I let it go may have been. Like we we hear into the unknown now all the time. That's the one that uh, <laughs> is, is, is that's the one that gets requested all the time now. Uh, it is it is scary that she can request certain songs and various songs now for us to ask Google to play. So, but into the unknown definitely is the uh, go to right now. Now I have to find the way to get that and pull it for our broadcast, don't we? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll see about that. Um, Hannah writes in, who would be the player from this season who you believe has been the most underrated? Most underrated? Um, I mean, I I think you look at the impact. I think S. Lindell is actually always underrated. I think because I think he plays such a large role that people um, kind of forget about. Um, I also think... 
Um, he played. I mean, the other one too is, I think Joe Pavelski. While his year has been has been not nearly what people expected, I also don't think it's as bad as some people want to to pull down because I think he deserves a lot of credit for helping the team turn around the one seven and one start. Yep. He was a big part part of that locker room. Um, so. I, I, Sean, you know what one, one that I always like to say is Matthias Janmark because of everybody always looks down on him for his finishing trouble that he's had and his lack of goal scoring, but he does so many other things well, and I say it every time we bring up Janmark. I think he is an underrated player. Yeah. All right, let's see. I think we got, we got a couple more, more like... to finish this off. Okay, let's do it. We've got uh, Ardell says, when does the NHL CBA expire? Any concern about a lockout? Do you guys consider Texas home and how far is the CBA as the lockout stuff? That's the long conversation that would have been it's for another day, I think, uh, because yes. there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff in so many moving parts with all of this this stoppage. Uh, as far as I consider Texas home now, I mean, yeah, I, I consider Texas home now. Um, we have a home here. We uh, where my family's grown here. My um, it's, uh, it's it's been a, it's been a good it's been a good place to us. Uh, I really enjoyed living in Austin. It took me a little while to find a place I liked in Dallas, and we now have found that. Um, the uh, yeah, I mean, as of right now, it's home. It's been most home settled we've been in a, in a while in my life. So yeah, I'm yeah. with you on that. I've been in yeah. Dallas longer than I've been at any other stop now. Because my first job I was for in hockey, I was at for four years, and then I was a series of of jumps as we started making progress and moving around. So. Um, definitely gotten more comfortable here. Uh, I, I'm going to flip it around. I like a lot of things about living here. I don't like the weather in the, in the, the heat of the summer and I don't like fire ants, but the other eight months of the year, I really liked Alice. Yeah. Um, French toasts. Final question. We'll end on this. I miss hearing the radio post game and my husband as a caller. Um, I, she, Owen, how is Bruce? Guys, who is the league's best jerk? German dogs are the best. You can't have just one. Uh, she's got a couple of German shepherds in her avatar. I have four <clears throat> uh, miniature dachshunds, also a German breed. Um, so, yep, got to love the hounds. Although sometimes they drive you nuts because they howl when they shouldn't. Bruce is good. I uh, did a intergalactic kegger zoom roundtable with the Dallas Stars with Bruce and Sevy and Brian yesterday that I think just posted while we were recording. So uh, I'll have to check that out. Uh, Sean, who's the league's best jerk? Oh, it's going to be, uh, it's got to be the guy in Boston, right? Like, I mean, if, nobody if, else is licking people. Yeah. And, and he's also a good hockey player too. Yes. That's the thing where th those, those are the most effective, the ones that are actually a pest, but can actually hurt you offensively. Those are the ones that are most effective. So Brad Marchand gets the final answer of the last question of the lightning round. Sean, it was a little bit more technically shaky today with the audio, so there will be some glitches in our recording. For anybody, we appreciate your patience with our technical uh, issues, but it seems as though, for the most part, uh, we're on to week three, aren't we? Yeah. I'm looking at your uh, intergalactic kegger right now. Are we supposed to be drinking beers now when we, uh, when we record this? Well, we don't. That is sponsored by Bud Light. So, oh, we don't have to drink Bud. We don't have to drink Bud Lights, but I mean, no. But you, uh, I mean, if we want to, you, you, remember this is also just an audio podcast. 
We're not using the video call. Only, only you and I can see each other through the FaceTime. So I don't, I mean, if you'd like to feel free, but yeah. yeah. Anywho. Well, we'll be back next week. Everyone, uh, Stay safe, wash your hands, stay indoors, and uh, talk soon enough. Pow, pow! Every day it's a little harder as I feel my power grow. Don't you know there's part of me that loves to go into the unknown?